Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Kate Vitasek, who is member of the graduate and executive education faculty at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville's Haslam's College of Business, and Carl Manrote, who is a professor of logistics at Georgia College's J. Whitney Bunting College of Business and Technology. And today we're going to talk about how to turn low trust business relationships into high performing partnerships. So I've argued over the past few years that we have a trust problem in supply chain management. For example, in a survey we conducted with our Indago supply chain research community in September, 2021, more than half of the respondents, 56%, either agreed or strongly agreed that, quote, you can't be too careful with dealing with people across your supply chain. So why is lack of trust a problem? What are the costs of distrust? Is there a way to measure trust in business relationships? And how can companies turn low trust business relationships into high performing partnerships? Well, those are the main questions we're going to explore in this episode. And it's great to have Kate and Carl on the program to share their insights and advice on this topic. This is an area that they've done a lot of research in and that they've uh, actually published a article in uh, a recent article in Harvard Business Review. Uh, that details some of the things that we're going to talk about today, as well as a white paper that was published by the University of Tennessee, um, again, diving into some of the things we're going to talk about today. And I'll include the links to those papers and articles in the uh, in the write-up to this episode so you can download them and, and read them to yourself. So with that, Kate and Carl, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, it's great great to have you both. I mean, I, I, it's been a very long time since you've both been on the program. I think the last time you were on the program, I had a full head of hair and I was still getting over my teenage acne, but uh, so, so, so it's been a, it's been a long time for sure. And, you know, folks that are, you know, fans of talking logistics and have been following us for a while know that, you know, we featured uh, your work on, on this program over the past few years, particularly in the areas of vested. And I see Kate, you've got all the books, be, you know, behind <laughs> you and I'm a big proponent of, uh, of the vested model and, and, and the work there. And, and of course, trust is a, you know, a foundational component a uh, component to to vested, so uh, I'm glad that we're going to kind of dive deeper into this topic, you know, today. So maybe Kate, we'll we'll start with you, and, and maybe start with a very basic question. You know, why does trust matter? In other words, you know, what are the benefits of trust, and you know, what are some of the costs of distrust? Perfect. So you know, I'm going to uh, pull out a quote from Stephen Covey's book, The Speed of Trust, and he says, he says, you know. Um, Trust doesn't necessarily, you know, derail a business, but a lack of trust almost certainly will. And so it's almost like, you know, that that old saying about pornography, you know, it's there, but, you know, it's kind of vague. And, and so what we do know from research, and by the way, there's lots of research on this, is that high trust environments have benefits. Now, some quantified business benefits, others are qualitative business. But I just I just jotted down a few of the, the the research reports that we reference in our white paper. Um, London School of Economics, for example, studied trust-based contracts. And were you kind of leaning into those contracts? Were they more relational-based or were they more transactional? Trust-based contracts generate 40% lower cost. And you think about that, and this is very true with our research at the University of Tennessee, right? is because if you have high trust, you're collaborating, you're working on projects together, you can feel good about making an investment. You know, the supplier can lean in, make an investment without feeling like, am I going to get that back next quarter? 
So 40% cost uh, difference, at lower cost structure. That's London School of Economics. The Australian government's done some work, higher performance. Now they don't quantify it. I'm like, you can quantify it. Um, but University of Tennessee, some of our <clears throat> colleagues over there have also done some work correlating trust levels with, with higher performance. Again, you if you trust someone, you're more likely to give it your best, common sense. But then I really like this last little bit of statistics, which was um, by a person named Paul Zak, uh, and he uh, was featured in Harvard Business Review as well. Um, and this was related to employees, because when you think about employees, you, there's lots of work around here. 74% less, tr uh, less stress. So when a buyer, a manager, and their em and employees have good trusting relationship, less stress, 74%, 106% more energy. I know I want to go to work and feel better about it when it's with someone I trust versus I don't. You don't have all that water cooler talking going on. And then surprisingly, 13% less sick days. And I guess that's because you have less stress. So lots of different um, work. Um, you know, uh, John Hinkie and the automotive industries link supplier trust to, to uh, the automotive industry. Again, great work there. But our work... Um, you know, Carl and I's work on um, compatibility and trust says, well, then how, wh what's the secret sauce? How do you improve it? So we know there's benefits, right? Even if you can't put your finger on it, you know it's there, but how do you improve it? Yeah. And if I can add to that. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. <clears throat> well, you know, one thing I just wanted to, to you know, as, as you were talking about that, and it was kind of reflecting about some of this too, Adrian. You know, you know, why does trust matter so much? Think about the world we're in today. So you were referencing when you had hair, you know? Well, go back to that day. The environment was really different today. Look how complex it is. And you look at all the different disruptions that occur within our supply chain or the impact social media can have in our organizations, right? So these costs are really starting to build up. And I've got to think about ways to better manage my relationships. And I can't not trust my suppliers anymore. I've got to figure out a way to do that. And it, it isn't just about cost, but it, it's a big part of it is cost, right? How do I get cost out, but how do I get innovation at the same time? Right. Yeah, that, that, that's a great, that's a great yeah. point. And, and and go ahead, Kate. Yeah, I don't know if you've uh, heard of the work of Dr. Oliver Williamson. He won a Nobel Prize for his work on transaction cost economics. And if you think about it, friction, there's this transaction cost, the cost of doing business. And the more I have a good relationship, the more I have you know, smooth ways of working, I have higher trust, the lower your transaction cost. So you remove the friction in your supply chain, your cost structure, your happiness goes up. Yeah, no, and I think just to add to, to what you both uh, you know, just said there, um, you know, we did some research um, again with our Indago community. I think it was, it was either last year or in 2021. And we, we kind of were asking about um, some lessons learned from kind of the pandemic and the disruptions and everything else and, and um, you know, actions that they were wanting to take to make their supply chains more resilient. I mean, that's one of the buzzwords that we've been hearing a lot about the past two, three years, you know, be, making supply chains more resilient. Number one on the list that came back from our Indago research community, and these are all supply chain logistics executives from manufacturing, retail, and distribution companies. Number one on the list was develop stronger, more transparent, and, and trusted relationships with their suppliers. Because they, again, there's no quant there's nothing to quantify there. We didn't quantify what that was, but they obviously realized that because they lacked that, that was one of the key reasons why they had all sorts of challenges 
you know, due to all these disruptions in terms of getting back to kind of some kind of a normal, you know, environment is because they didn't have those types of business relationships um, that um, enable them to, uh, again, respond more intelligently and quickly to to these disruptions. So, so Carl, let me, let me go to you now, because I mean, I think it's one of these things where, you know, you can say, well, trust is one of those things you just know when you have it, right? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but is there a way to actually measure, you know, trust in business relationships? I mean, how do you know whether it's trustful or not, or whether you're in the low end or high end? I, yeah, I, just kind of curious. But I have really good news for a lot of people that are listening to the podcast and a lot of your clients, Adrian, because when they talk, talk about we have to have this trusting relationship, there is a way to actually get there. There is a process. So it isn't like I'm a natural born singer or I'm a natural born speaker, right? And and people come up to Kate and said, oh, you're just natural at it. And it's like, heck no, we work our butts off to get good, you know? And so the same thing applies to trust. And, and part of it is that you have to have a process and you have to look at dimensions of trust to make sure you're not um, making sure that you're aligned and you're actually following those. So we're very fortunate. Um, Dr. Jerry Ludlow and I developed a long time ago um, a compatibility and trust survey. And we start looking at these different dimensions that make up trust. Like one of them is just basically trust performance. Are you are you being consistent in your relationship, right? So you can't go up to your spouse and say, I love you. And then a minute later, come back and go, you're crazy, you're nuts and all this other stuff, right? Well, well you can, but you won't be married very long, right? So there has to be this consistency, consistency in your action. Um, there's gotta be a focus with the two parties, right? So the ability to combine the individual roles with a corporate direction, okay? There has to be a level of communication. And the communication really needs to be consistent, open, planned, right? How are we going to handle situations? How are we going to do that? So that's the third out of those, which kind of bleeds into the team orientation. So it isn't, you know, what do you do and what do I do? It's what do we do? How are we providing value? One of the great things, and and this work that we're doing is so rewarding um, because people talk about how it changes their lives. And I remember one of the, the folks we were working with said he walked into this room and it was a buyer supplier and they were working on a problem and he just looked at him and he couldn't tell who was the buyer and who was the supplier. It was just that unique as a team. They were working together. So that orientation really matters. You have to focus in on that and look at it. And then the final one is innovation. If you're into a strategic relationship that requires a high level of trust, then one of the benefits is that you can actually do things better. But if I'm going to bring innovation, I need to bring incentives in as well, right? So what am I going to get out of this for both parties? Not just the, the buyer can't be the only one that wins. And so we look at this as a process when we look at how do I follow through on those key areas and how do we measure it to make sure we're being effective. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I'm going to toot Carl and Jerry's horn because, you know, they sat around and, you know, me, you know, doing all this work with vested strategic partnerships. The question was, well, how can you measure it? And it was this research that Jerry and Carl did that says, well, how do you improve it? Trust, focus, communication, team orientation and innovation. So five dimensions. And so creating a survey that goes in that you can give to buyers and suppliers and say, how is your trust? But unlike, um, there's another uh, really good research. So John, John Hinckley's work um, in the automotive industry, it, it's kind of one dimensional. Do I trust you or whatever, but it doesn't unpack it. And so what Carl and Jerry are able to do is unpack this assessment 
So it's not just a survey, it's kind of more of a, a 360 degree assessment and it scores each of the five dimensions. And then you can take and actually get an index. So we can give a score to a buyer supplier partnership, this compatibility and trust, trust health index. You know, it, the paper, um, the white paper that I'll, I'll provide a link to provides a lot more detail on those those five you know dimensions. I, I like the innovation one because when you think about innovation, I mean, a lot of companies talk about innovation, but inherently a, a lot of innovation involves risk and risk taking by multiple parties. So you can kind of make that connection that unless there's trust between the parties, right, you're not going to be willing to take any kind of risk. So it's it's kind of like the you know prerequisite that there has to be trust there to be able to take the risk that's required to you know drive innovation. And I think if you believe in the fact that in order to remain competitive in this market, in order to kind of gain market share, grow, and so forth. You know, you need to continue. You need to continuously innovate. Well, then you need to kind of build on that. You know, the the, the trust factor because that's going to be critically important to you know to drive this. Um. So so, Kate, let, let's talk about you know the the, the research that that you you've done um, together and and leveraging this uh, you know CAT survey, this compatibility and trust survey and assessment. So so as part of your research, you performed 129 assessments, if, if I read that correctly in the paper. And this was across 98 unique uh, trading partner relationships, more than two dozen industries. So, you know, if you kind of had to boil all that down, I mean, what were some of the key lessons um, that this research revealed to help companies, you know, improve their relationships, uh, you know, their, their relationship health? Well, I think the first one is that cultural fit matters. So I like to think, you know, drug dealers shouldn't marry Southern Baptist. You know, so if you're if you're not anywhere even on the same radar screen with cultural fit, um, it's going to, you know, just not fit. Oil and water don't mix. But think about, you know, all the work done on diversity. So it's not saying that I need to hire a supplier that's exactly like me, right? But it, when you look at business cultural fit, it's how we make decisions. Are you hierarchical or uh, do you give autonomy, right? Um, do we like transparency? Do we not like transparency? So if you're dealing with a customer, a buyer that's really transparent and a supplier that is never transparent, they're not gonna like each other too much. It's gonna annoy them. So we look at in the survey across these five dimensions, how do you score yourself? Are you innovative? Is your partner innovative? Do you like teams? Do you not like teams, right? So, um, you know, and so you think about it, the buyer and the supplier kind of have a DNA, like a cultural DNA across these five dimensions. And you can look at them side by side. And we actually do this. So we say, well, how do you view yourself? How do you view your supplier? And if there's some level of similarity, we would say there's a high enough cultural fit. But if they're polar opposites, we're like, there's not enough good cultural fit. Oil and water, it's probably never going to have a great relationship. Not that that supplier isn't capable, but you're going to drive each other nuts. And what is fascinating to me is that there's all these relationships that all, do have enough cultural fit to have a good partnership, but they don't trust. So in the case study, we talk about Island Health and the hospitalist who provide hospital services to the Canadian government. And they literally were in lawsuits. They hated each other. I, I think they used the words like um, toxic. How do you describe your relationship? Toxic, you know, distrustful, deceitful. You'd have thought they were polar opposites. 
But when you looked at the compatibility and trust assessment, they ha actually, the DNA of the doctors and the administrators were, were similar enough. They had just created an environment that um, in behavioral economics, like a slippery slope, tit for tat. Well, you did this and then I'm gonna do this and you did this and I'm gonna do this. Well, that's how we get to these toxic environments because I've behaved badly, even though I had a good relation, I, I had the chemistry for a good relationship, I've created a series of behaviors that deteriorated our trust. So lesson number one, you have to have at least a level uh, of cultural fit. And, and it's not, I look at, I'm just like you, right? We want diversity, but we need to be able to at least, you know, accept that teaming and collaboration is good, that innovation is good. And we give an example in the white paper of a company, uh, you know, oil and water didn't fit together. It was a, 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 a medical device company and a maintenance supplier. Maintenance supplier didn't, you know, great at steady state, I'm here to maintain, didn't really do a lot of innovation didn't really like teaming, show me my work order, I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna give you a service level. So the service levels were great, you know, green scorecards, red faces, because they didn't have a good cultural fit. So number one lesson, cultural fit. Number two, and I had a hunch about this one, but getting through the data was amazing to see that my hunch was, was uh, right. Number two is that your business model matters. So when you move to a vested business model, like we did with Island Health, you had good cultural fit, but they were highly transactional, but they worked in a dynamic environment. They were trying to have business outcomes. Think about in healthcare, it's always about outcome-based, right? So they were wanting outcomes, but they were stuck in this transactional business model. And so by shifting to a vested business model, it unlocked all of this potential because now you're aligning interests towards business outcomes, not just, oh, I'm a doctor, I'm gonna charge you per hour to show up. And so making that shift is really impactful on trust. And we can see this because in the relationships that we have that we've trended over time, you can actually see how trust is improved, how performance is improved. And that correlation, you know, as trust improves, performance improves. As trust improves, costs go down because we're collaborating. We like each other. We want to work on these things. So number two, your business model matters. And as you shift to a relational contract, in particular, a vested model, you're going to improve your trust because it is a relational contract. Now, the third lesson that we have from looking at, at all of these uh, relationships and monitoring their trust over time is that trust it is improving trust is a strategic choice. So think about Island Health. They were in lawsuits, they hate each other, but they were willing to come together to say, you know what, we gotta figure this out. And we, our model, our business model, our transactional business model is dragging us down, let's choose to trust. But you've got all this history, this baggage that comes with distrust. And so they did a bunch of exercises. We have them in two in a boxes. You give them some exercises. So as Carl said, you know, there's there's some tools and techniques you can get, put together in, in helping people, you know, choose to trust. It's always like, say, do you earn trust? Do you choose to trust? And people go, oh, you have to earn trust. Well, you can't earn trust if you don't choose to be trusting. And so it's kind of a catch 22. And so we put people in these little exercises where they choose to trust 
and then it's amazing that you can work your way out of it. And, you know, Island Health is an amazing example. They went from 86% negative statements about the partnership. So that one of the things in the CAD is they're asked to give every, every person gives three adjectives to describe the relationship. Toxic, deceitful, distrusting, adversarial, 86% negative to 84% positive in two years. So what did they do? They had enough cultural fit. They chose to change their business model and they chose to trust. So three simple lessons. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I, I love that in the paper. So obviously in the papers, you, you, you dive into those lessons, uh, you, you know, in, in more detail, but, but I love that section of the paper where you talk about those adjectives, because I mean, I think when I, when I've done research in this area, obviously not to the same extent that, that you guys have, but I mean, those are some of the same words I hear from, um, you know, from folks. I mean, I, I, one of the research surveys that we did, you know, someone said, well, you know, if you, uh, all you have to do is lie to me once and that's it. That's it. I'll never trust you again. You know, so, um, you know, lying, you know, they're liars. Um, you know, that, that is, I, I think the number one thing I heard from a lot of folks that was the one key thing that would break their trust in a, in a, in a supplier. Um, yeah. but Adrian, I want to challenge that, right? So, oh, you're lying to me. Were they really lying or did you perceive they were lying because you didn't have the transparency? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's that perception. And that's one of the things I just love about what Carl and Jerry have done is I measure myself and I measure my perception of you. And the vast majority of time you've perceived something that if we unpack it, isn't necessarily true. But and here's the other part of that, Kate, that, that we don't want to that we don't want to ask. <laughs> Were you lying to them? Right. Yeah. Because it is, it's a it's a two way street, right? Oh, there are a bunch of liars. Well, what, what did you do to cause that behavior? And did they come into work saying, "I'm going to lie to you today"? You know, my my goal today is lie like crazy and not get caught. Yeah, I mean, and it, when, yeah. And so when you think I've been I've lied to you, you're going to lie to me. And then I'm like, well, he just lied to me. And you could have actually lied to me when you just perceived I did, right? And this is yeah. where we get that slippery slope. And so we have to undo that. And this is why we say you have to choose to trust. Um, and when you're in a strategic partnership, to let that friction and uh, come in, that is, I mean, Oliver Williamson, transaction cost economics. Yeah, and I think I think you 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 kind of mentioned something that I think is important too. That sometimes lying can be perceived as kind of a sin of omission. It's it's more about well, you're perceiving that they lied because they didn't provide data or information, um, so they didn't actively, you know tell you something that was uh, false but on purpose, but because they are their culture or they're historically having shared data or information, um, you know, you perceive that as lying. You didn't tell me the whole truth or so on and so forth. So I think it's unbundling or I'm, to use your word, unpacking some of these things, I think is where you kind of get to the point where you can begin to start building, you know, more trustful, you know, re relationships. Now, okay, you, you you touched upon, uh, you know, a few case studies there. I don't know if you or Carl wanted to add any other examples from the papers, um, but but I think in the papers, you obviously highlight, you know, some some examples here of, uh, you know, the, the results that some of these um, assessments that you've done have have shown kind of the positive effects of of measuring over time, you know, the, 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 the work there. Um, so I, anyway, before we move on to kind of the last question, I don't know if you want to highlight any other examples or, or takeaways in terms of real, real world benefits from 
from the work you guys have done? You know, what, what's really interesting, and there's a lot of um, benefits, and, and Kate can address this um, far better than I can. Um, you, normally, when people go into this, it's like, how much money can I save, right? Or, you know, what's going to happen there? And if you have a better, solid, trusting relationship, you're going to help. You're going to find ways to reduce our costs, right? And notice I said reduce costs, not reduce out how much I pay the, the supplier, right? So we're reducing costs for making the work better. I, but I think Kate also kind of hit on something that's really important on just the way that we actually do work. Look at Island Health as an example, right? You look at all these adjectives that they had before about going to work, about feeling bad about going to work. And now suddenly they, they enjoy going to work. Um, we actually had a chef, um, if, if we can talk about Chef Michael, who's at Cargill, who was head chef in charge of everything in Cargill on how they operated with, with um, all the divisions. And he demoted himself down to work with McDonald's because McDonald's is kind of cool to work with. Is that a price thing? Not really, but it's a, it's a quality of life issue that really came into play. And so I, I think when, you, when we talk about success, it isn't just about the dollars, but it's about the lifestyle that people have in there too. And then how excited they are to go to work, the innovation they're bringing um, to, those, to those relationships. Hmm. Yeah, we like to say that, you know, trust equals happiness. We, we, we put that in the, in the HBR article. And by measuring the adjectives over time, you can actually see that people are happier, right? So they're, they're words of how they describe this relationship. If you measure that every six months, every year, that's what you're trying to get. I want an environment that is trusting, that is a, gives me autonomy, that lets me do good. And then from that, good things happen. Performance goes up, costs go down, you know, uh, sick days go down because you want to come to work. You like who you're working with. And, and so it's, it's not this like increased trust, you know, decreased dollars. There's not this one-on-one -on -one correlation. But if my focus, for example, in a vested relationship is to lower our cost structure, Dell, for example, Dell in the HBR article, we talk about how in <laughs> two years, they were able to reduce their cost structure 50%, 5-0, 50%, right? But you choose to trust, you choose to create the mechanisms that are going to build trust. So it's work. You know, you can't just magically say, oh, I don't have trust. Well, if you don't have trust, then what are you going to do about it? And the compatibility and trust assessment clearly gives you a path, a roadmap across each of the five dimensions to improve that trust, if you choose to trust, and if you choose to work on tangible things to build those trusts. One of them is transparency, communication. You wanna have a better trusting environment? Improve your communication, be transparent. The more transparent you are, the more trust is gonna go up. Yeah, no, great great points. And I love the uh, trust equals happiness. Uh... You know, you know, take away. I mean, I think that that also has you know an impact of you know another topic that we, we've we've been talking a lot about the past couple of years is you know this this labor shortage in the industry and the fact that there's you know fewer and fewer workers out there. Period. And and um, you know, so it's imperative for companies to rate retain the workers that they have. And part of retention is making sure that people are excited to go to work. They are happy with you know, the work that they're doing and the contributions that they're making, that they're working in a, not in a toxic environment, but in a productive and, you know, constructive environment and so forth. So I think even from that perspective, in terms of employee retention, which I know many uh, uh, companies and supply chain executives are wrestling with in terms of how to retain 
you know, folks. I mean, I think that that you know this plays a part in that as well. So, so Carl, I'll I'll go to you, you know, to to wrap us up here. And Kate, you can certainly add your your thoughts on this question as well. I mean, what are some of the most common barriers or or challenges companies face in building trust with their suppliers and other trading partners, and and how can they overcome these challenges? Well, one of them was what Kate talked about. She said you have to choose to trust. But you know, choosing the trust isn't a one-time deal. It's a continual deal. It's a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute, choosing to trust your supplier. Because we all have natural tendencies to go back to our own selfish ways, right? So choosing the trust is really kind of a critical one to think about that I, I have to practice it on a continual basis. There's really good news. Um, when you start looking at a lot of the case studies we've done, and some of them were toxic, and you go, man, these people never work together again. The reality is they did. And what we ought to take from that is that people can change, right? But what they need is a process that enables that change to occur. Um, and then I, probably the, the last thing I'd kind of think about um, where there is just that the alignment matters, right? So when I start thinking about metrics, and um, Kate and I have spent a lot of our time in, in metrics as well, I have to make sure that I'm aligned, right? And then that my incentives are aligned as well. So being consistent in those areas, making sure that that, that we choose to trust on a continual basis um, and making sure that that I don't think that I can cheat and get away with it, right? It's choosing the trust continually. Yeah. And, and I echo that alignment. And this is where Vested, that's why, you know, our second lesson is your business model matters because Vested aligns the interests of the buyer or the supplier. It's not us versus you, buy versus sell. You know, I get a lower price, you get less profits. We're creating this win-win alignment of interest with the same goals and objectives. And so sometimes you can choose to trust, but if you're misaligned on your goals, your business model isn't aligned, it's still gonna drag you down. And I'll leave with this fun story. So with Island Health, so they had good cultural fit. They had a toxic environment. They said, we need to choose to trust, but their business model was holding them back. It was misaligned. And if they didn't fix that business model misalignment, they were still going to be stuck in an old environment. So they took their contract. They did a little three-day workshop. They took their contract and they said, this contract made me be deceitful because my job was to do X, which is opposite of what you do. And so it, they actually kind of looked at it and we had them dissect. It's like, what do you do? You're contractually obligated to create this environment to hate each other, to be against each odds. And so they took that contract and they t- everybody got a page of the contract in the workshop. They tore it up and tossed it into confetti and said, this contract made us create this toxic environment. We're going to choose to trust and create a win-win environment. And therefore, look two years later where they're at. They're innovating. They're in the news. Healthcare, right? COVID, they're innovating in COVID. They're innovating in all these different regulations where they're trying to come up with new ways. And so that's the spirit of the collaboration and the teaming and the communication and the innovation, those five dimensions that Carl talked about. That's that's a great story. And I I think, you know, my 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 takeaway is going back to my opening comments. Like we have a we have a trust problem supply chain management. So, so like everything, you know, the first step is really to acknowledge that that we have a problem, right? And then the question then becomes like, what are we going to do about it? And I think both of you uh in the research that you've done provided a nice framework and, and roadmap on how to 
you know, address some of these, uh, you know, uh, uh, low trust business relationships and see if, if you can get them into high performing, uh, you know, partnerships. So again, I'm going to encourage everyone to, you know, download and read the reports um, that we'll include in the, uh, in the link. But today, both of you provided some great insights and advice, and um, I'm sure we can probably spend another hour, you know, talking through all these, uh, uh, you know, results and, and uh, you know, uh, ways of, of building trust. But again, thank you both for making the time to be with us today. Excellent. Thank and you, again, I want to give uh, your audience and, and members, you've been such a good partner to us in sharing our, our stories over Vested for a long time. Um, but if people reach out through you and want to do a compatibility and trust assessment, we'll let them do a second one for the same cost as one. And so go out and start by understanding your awareness. Do a compatibility and trust assessment. Know if you have gaps. Know if you have a good cultural fit. And then you can start to take the journey. Well, that's great. I, I appreciate you 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 bring that up, and we'll, we'll certainly hi highlight that as well. Because I mean, I think it is like I think Carl, you mentioned it earlier on. It's like, well, we we can talk about trust and building trust, but you ultimately like everything in life, you have to actually take some action on it to you know get get on the right path. So I think if you if for companies that are out there that are, um, you know, uh, this episode resonated with them and they really want to you know tackle this, I think that's a great uh, you know opportunity to you know to get started. So again, thank you. Thank you both for joining us. I want to thank those of you that joined us today. If you're watching this episode on demand, either, uh, you know, at the Talking Logistics website or via, uh, you know, Carl or Kate, and you've got a questions for them, I'm sure you, you can post them there and they'll be more than happy to, to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.